So we're uh, on this sermon series called Living Without Flip-Flops, and we're going through the book of Philippians. And so I'd like to start with with a review of last week. This This is the second week. And last week was the first sermon in the series. And we started by looking at this word, acedia. And it's a word which has fallen out of use but which I described as being, and these aren't my words, these are words I found on the internet, but which I described as being a gloomy combination of weariness, sadness, and lack of purposefulness, which robs a person of his or her capacity for joy and leaves them feeling empty or void of meaning. So that's that word, acedia, which I explained last week. And I said as well that we have to watch out for acedia during summer, Sometimes acedia looks like laziness, or sometimes acedia can even look like being really busy. But I called acedia the flip-flop spirit because it makes us flip and flop, and we're not steady. And I said that the antidote to acedia is joy, and it's a specific joy, a deep-rooted joy in Jesus which is why I kept repeating over and over again in the sermon last week, quit your flip-flopping, get joy in Jesus. And joy in Jesus is what the letter to the Philippians is all about. Last week, we discovered that in Acts chapter 16, that the church at Philippi was started with three unlikely people. There was a rich Asian female entrepreneur or businesswoman, There was a Greek slave girl who was delivered from an evil spirit. And there was a blue-collar Roman jailer. And we learned that if God can do what he did with these three people, imagine what he can do with us, wherever we are on our spiritual journey. And I talked about these islands called the Lofoten Islands, um, way north of the Arctic Circle in Norway, But these islands, even though they're so far north of the Arctic Circle, they remain verdant and green and beautiful and warm because of the North Atlantic Drift. And so like the Lofoten Islands, which are in the path of the North Atlantic Drift, we can beat the odds and we can live a life that is flourishing, that is full of life as we remain kind of in the flow of God. And so I talked about Psalm 1 at that point as well. So to end the summary, I said that really the, um, the, overall, the verse that kind of can sum up the book of Philippians is Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, which is, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So that's the end of the summary. Let's turn to the book of Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 1. I'm just going to grab my tea. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Maya, my youngest, she's just started writing letters. Um, And the reason that she just started writing letters is because she got a pen pal in Singapore, which just so happens to be her best friend from her Logos Hope days. And I love watching her write because, because she concentrates and she misspells stuff and she writes it how she thinks it sounds, but it's not how it should be written. But, you know, I just let her do it. And she puts an enormous amount of work into what turns out to be three or four sentences of communication. But can you imagine if Maya began her letter by writing, Maya Wallace, resident of Canada and budding pen pal extraordinaire, to my Singaporean friend who lives with her mother and father and her little brother, greetings and hellos from my family and from the nation of Canada. It would be weird. And none of us writes like that. Not letters, and for sure, not emails. But back in the first century, this style of writing was perfectly normal. In fact, it was expected to write an introduction like this. There was no, hey, how's it going? More was expected, and hence the fancy introduction from Paul. But when you think about it, what a great opportunity this introduction is to remind yourself of who it is you're writing to. An introduction like this reminds us that the writer of the letter is not just a random bloke, and the receivers aren't just an anonymous crowd. In fact, the letter is from someone specific, and it's to someone specific. And so this long-winded introduction is sort of a catapult that launches the rest of the letter. So what does Paul say in his plus-sized introduction? First of all, he introduces himself and and Timothy as co-authors of the letter. He then uses this phrase as he introduces themselves. He he identifies them as servants of Jesus Christ, which means, in a sense, that they're representing Jesus to the church at Philippi. Paul then identifies the recipients of the letter, those to whom this letter is addressed. He calls them saints in Christ Jesus with the overseers and the deacons. Saints in Christ Jesus. When you think about it, what a thing to write, saints in Christ Jesus, because these are ordinary people like you, like me, but these are people who are considered holy because of their standing in Jesus Christ. There are rich business people like Lydia. There are poor ex-slaves like the demon-possessed girl. There's, there's, there are hard-working family men like the jailer, and all are considered to be saints in Christ Jesus. And I wonder, how would your communication change if you thought of the person that you're communicating with as a saint, and yourself 
as a servant? How much more grace-filled would your writing be? How much kinder would your Facebook comments be? How much more careful and intentional would I be if I started off each communication with Dan, servant of Jesus Christ? If every time we talked to a brother or a sister in Jesus, we had this in mind, that I am a servant of Jesus and that you are a saint, everything would be transformed. If our posture was that of servants talking to saints, what a transformation would happen in our day-to-day communication. In fact, why don't you give it a go? Not right now, but through this next week. Walk around whispering to yourself, I am a servant of Jesus. And when you see another human being, you can say, this person is either a saint in Jesus Christ or they have the potential of being a saint in Jesus Christ. And if you do that, things will never be the same again. So let's move on to verse 2. Paul declares the message that he's been given to give, which is grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Just briefly in these three words, grace and peace, what is Paul proclaiming? Simply put, he's proclaiming a ceasefire. He's saying that through Jesus Christ, the holy God can now have an intimate relationship with sinners. Because firstly, grace means undeserved favor. And secondly, peace means a truce or an ending of hostilities. And it's not an uneasy truce or a fragile ceasefire. In fact, it's a peace deal that was brokered with the blood of Jesus Christ that can never be overturned or undone or undermined. This peace treaty can never be reneged on. It's a sure thing. And so this, this, this atmosphere of joy that permeates through the entire letter to Philippians begins with this, this declaration of pure joy that springs from Paul's pen. He says, I am a servant of Jesus. You are a saint in Jesus. I declare his gracious favor towards you. God loves you. And I declare his peace towards you that the war is finished. The hostilities are done. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. All in those couple of sentences. In the film, A Christmas Story, there's a scene where Ralphie has been given a homework assignment. He's been asked to write on the theme, What I Want for Christmas. And so Ralphie starts to write about the Red Rider carbine action 200-shot range model air rifle that he so wants. And as he's writing, older Ralphie, who's narrating, says, Oh, rarely had the words poured from my penny pencil with such feverish fluidity. And just as Ralphie did not struggle for words when writing about the Red Rider rifle, so we can see in Paul a feverish fluidity as the words pour from his pen. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now listen to what Luke chapter 6 verse 45 says. It says this, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his 
evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And here, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, we can clearly see the treasures that Paul is bringing to the surface. We can see that Paul is speaking out of the abundance of his heart. He's full up, and the overflow is his mouth. And it's good stuff that is pouring out. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all. My question is, could Paul be more emphatic at this point? Listen to the words he uses, all, always, every, you all. Without a doubt, the church at Philippi means so much to Paul. In fact, so much so that he has verbal diarrhea or written diarrhea. Not a nice image. But he can't stop it. It just keeps on flowing, this feverish fluidity. And so what about you? In Christ, who do you thank God for every time you think of them, always in every prayer? Who has God placed in your life that you can, without shame and without holding back, just praise God for them over and over and over again? Because listen to me as I say this, that this is the secret of joy. This is the beginning of the secret of joy. This is one of the key principles that will bring us into a place where we're living lives of joy, being able to do this. Look at the logic of what Paul is saying in verse 3 to 5. Because I have people like you in my life, Paul says, I thank God whenever I think of you and I make my prayer with joy. In this case, Prayer is not the source of God's joy. Sorry, prayer is not the source of Paul's joy. The relationship is the source of Paul's joy. Prayer is the joyful response to God for allowing Paul to have these people in his life who bring him such joy. But the source of this joy is the relationship. So let me ask you again. Who do you have in your life that causes you to burst out with joy? out of the overflow of your heart. You cannot help it. Maybe someone comes straight to mind. If so, praise God. Maybe you need to think a little bit longer. Well, then take that time and thank God for them because sometimes it's a brother or sister that we've taken for granted and you've never even entertained the thought that perhaps they're joy bringers into your life. They're just there and they've always been there. Or perhaps it's time to consciously identify them as people who make your life more joy-filled and thank God for them. Or perhaps there's no one that you can think of. You cannot think of anyone who causes you to overflow with joy in this way that Paul shows. And in fact, as you start to think about the lack of people in your life who bring you joy, you start to get a little depressed What's wrong with you, you may think. Well, if this last scenario is you, let me encourage you with two thoughts. First thought, if you're in Christ, grace is yours and peace is yours already. That's a done deal. Verse 2 still applies to you. In Christ, you have unobstructed access to God, the Father. And this relationship that you have with him is the deepest and best that you can ever know. 
This relationship is the only one that is truly unconditional and purely based on God's favor for you. This means that you can rejoice whether or not you have people in your life who bring you joy. Because God is the ultimate joy bringer. So that's my first thought, if you're someone who does not think that they have people in their lives that bring them joy. But my second thought is this, and this is a bit of a challenge. The reason why the Philippians caused Paul to overflow with joy was because they'd sent him a gift. They'd sent this gift with a guy called Epaphroditus, which we read about later in chapter 4, verse 18. Their gift brought Paul joy. Therefore, let me challenge you with this thought. Perhaps the reason you cannot think of anyone who causes you to overflow with joy is because your life is too insular. It's too self-contained. It's too safe. You're a closed ecosystem. Maybe what you need to do is to start meeting the needs of others. Maybe you need to start widening your circle and bumping shoulders with others. Maybe you need to allow God to use you to bless others with no expectation of return. The people of Philippi were joyful people, and they gave joyfully. They gave to Paul, and they didn't use e-transfer or Western Union. They they financed a guy, think about this, they financed a guy called Epaphroditus to travel all the way from Philippi in Macedonia, probably to Rome, where Paul was, so that they could give him a gift. They were extravagant gifters, and they gave sacrificially, and they gave to someone in need. They, They financed them to travel all that way so that they could give him a gift. And so Paul's heart overflows with joy. So if you're struggling with feelings of being isolated and lonely, remember, number one, that God's grace and peace is always with you. And number two, perhaps think about changing your behavior. Start living an others-focused life and see how God unlocks the fountains of joy in your life and those to whom you give. Let's move on to verse 7. So we're going to jump verse 6 for now and move on to verse 7. In verse 7, Paul says, It is right for me to feel this way about you. And what does this tell us? This tells us that Paul is not forcing an emotion towards the Philippians. It's not like when we were kids and our parents would say, Say thanks to Auntie for your lovely present. And we'd squeeze out a grimacing thanks from between our teeth. This is more like a dog wagging its tail. There are lots of things that we've had to train our dog, Ollie, for. Don't run off, don't poo inside, don't bite. But one thing we've never had to train him to do is to wag his tail. It just happens. And it happens as far as I can tell when Ollie is happy. The wagging tail is the overflow of his happy heart. And so if Paul were a dog right now, he'd be wagging his tail as he writes, it's right for me to feel this way about you. Because what this means is, it's only natural that I should be feeling this right now. His tail is wagging, and he explains why it's natural for him to feel this way. He says, because I hold you in my heart. Now I know that to us nowadays, that sounds a bit like something you'd read on a Hallmark card or see on the Facebook status update of a teenage girl who's just fallen in love for the first time. But here, Paul really means it. I hold you in my heart. 
You have a permanent and special place in my heart. So why does Paul hold them in his heart? Why are they so special to him? Verse 7 says, because they are, in his words, partakers with him of grace. Partakers of grace. Now, when I think back through my spiritual history, there are some names who spring up. There is Peter for introducing me to Christian apologetics as a young teenager. There's Steve for leading our youth group and modeling someone who cared enough to call us out on things. There's Wendy for introducing me to Christian joy. There's Sam for mentoring me and taking seriously the realities of spiritual warfare. There's Craig for teaching me to see things from a different perspective. There's Grandma Kathy and Grandpa Alan who taught me to live by principle. There's Lloyd for demonstrating that an introvert can live strongly. And there's Celan for introducing me to the importance of giving people a chance in leadership and for teaching me that, that my worldview has a bearing. Sorry, my culture has a bearing on my worldview. So these are all people that I hold in my heart, but not in an insipid way that's all emotion and no substance. What binds us together... Um, why these people have a place in my heart while others don't is because these people are partakers with me of grace. Now, we need to pause here because we need to understand what does it mean to be a partaker of grace with someone. And this isn't some vague pleasantry on Paul's part. It's not a flowery Christian phrase that we say because we've got nothing else to say. He means something specific by this phrase, partakers of grace. Now, the word partakers here in verse 7 has, is the same or has the same root as the word partnership in verse 5. These, bo- these both come from the Greek word koinonia, which Christians often translate as fellowship. But fellowship is different to partnership because partnership is fellowship with purpose. Okay, I'll say that again. Partnership is fellowship with purpose. There's a Japanese Facebook group that understands this concept. Their name, which is in Japanese, translates into English as lavatory cleaner soldier. And these folks meet together in Tokyo once a week to clean public toilets with their bare hands. Have you got that image in your mind? Good. This is partnership. This is fellowship with purpose, whether it turns our crank or not. Yeah. And then there's another Facebook group who exist purely to share their stories about accomplishing something before the microwave reaches zero. So they set the timer, they go and do something, and then they come back. And so that's why this Facebook group exists, is to share their stories about accomplishing something before the microwave timer reaches zero. They have a partnership, a fellowship with purpose. And Paul in the book of Philippians, calls this church his partners, partakers with him. And this is fellowship with purpose. And this, is, this common purpose is what brings Paul joy. 
They're all on the same team, which is why Paul says in verse 7, it's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers, remember that, that, that word, partakers with me of grace. So partakers of grace is saying we're in partnership together. We're partaking of the same purpose. We're on the same team. We're pulling in the same direction. We're on the same trajectory. We have the same goal. We have the same purpose in life. And what is this purpose that draws them together in partnership? It's not Tokyo toilets, and it's not getting things done while your microwave counters counting down. It's the gospel. So, if we're to follow this logic through, and it's important that we do this, the Philippians occupy a special place in Paul's heart because together in partnership, their lives are orientated around the gospel. So here's one thing, or here's the thing. If we're to move our church from community, from friendship and fellowship, which we do very well, into partnership, what we need to do is we need to prioritize Christ and the message of the gospel. We need to become partners in the gospel. And it's as we do this as a community that we will experience joy. So let me offer you this friendly challenge. Is the reason that you're not experiencing overflowing joy because you're not partnering with others in the gospel? If our lives aren't all about the gospel, and here I'm speaking to people who are Christians, if our lives aren't all about the gospel, if we're not obsessing ourselves over the astounding good news of a God who offers rebels grace and peace that we read in verse 2, then our horizons are too small. If we aren't all about Jesus, then we're trying to fill up our eternal souls with temporary things, and this can only leave a yawning hunger that can never be satisfied. So the only way to live a life that is full up is to partner with others in the gospel. The good news is the only thing that's big enough to fill our soul. The news that God through Jesus offers us grace and peace is the only thing worthy of spending our lives on. Everything else ultimately, eternally, is a waste. So I have to ask you this. Who are you partnering with in the gospel? Maybe it's a close friend. Maybe it's a mission organization. Maybe it's the Telfers in Edmonton. Maybe it's the Okrans in Ghana. Maybe... It's the McCullers in Cambodia. Maybe your grow group is interceding with you for someone who you love, just praying for that opportunity that, the, that, that opens up so that you can share the message of God's grace and peace into their lives. This is no lie that the times when I felt most alive are when I'm partnering with someone for the gospel. Whether it's preaching in a mall in the Philippines or crossing Prince of Wales Drive in North Gore to sit in someone's kitchen. It's these times that I can go to sleep at night saying, this is living. And the amazing thing is that Paul says that his mission did not end when he went to prison. He didn't suddenly hang up his gloves or take a well-earned break. No, in verse 7, he says that you are all partakers with me of grace. Remember, this means partners in the gospel, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. 
So even though circumstances have changed, the partnership is still going on. Yes, there may be locks on the door and bars on the windows. Yes, Paul may be chained to a guard. Yes, he may be faced with possible execution. But God's not done with him yet. Paul still has a job to do. And he's not doing it alone. He's doing it with the backing and support of the church at Philippi. So we need this partnership with the gospel. It's so essential. Our missionaries, the Okrans in Ghana, the McCullers in Cambodia, Riverside Church in Swastika, the Telfers in Norwood Wesleyan in Edmonton, and World Hope need to know that they're not going it alone. Now, I know that Sarah Davis is still looking for supporters to partner with her in the gospel. In fact, let me say this now, that if you're not partnering with anyone in the gospel, it's not too late. We have our very own missionary that we're sending overseas into Denmark in less than a month's time with the express purpose of making disciples in a godless and a secular society. And her name is Sarah Davis. She still needs partners. And so partnering with her can be your route to joy. So if you want to inject some purpose into your life, if you want to invest your money in the only bank that will always give you an eternal return on your investment, then speak to Sarah after this service. She's leaving in a month, and I know that as her pastor, I don't want to see her going overseas without full support, and she's not there yet. So you can combine your ability to give with her call to go. And you can experience, as I said, fellowship with purpose. Make a point of speaking with her. Ask her how her funds are. Pray and then respond in obedience to what God is requesting you to give. Maybe you can't give financially, and that doesn't matter. Because a word of encouragement doesn't cost you a penny. And here's the thing, that as you do this, you will become that person about whom Sarah will say, I thank my God in every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Seriously, that will happen. I've been that missionary overseas who thinks, man, it's so amazing that so-and-so has partnered with us as a family. It's such a special bond that develops in those partnerships. Paul would know I know it too. Matt and Noreen McCullough know. Sarah knows it. And you can know it too. So whether it's partnering with Sarah or the McCulloughs or Telfers or someone else, maybe even not linked with our church, this can be the key to unlocking joy in your life. Years ago, we, we used to call missions at Cornerstone partnering with purpose. And that's why Paul loves the Philippians. So, Do you want to be someone who's yearned after with the affection of Jesus Christ, as Paul writes in verse 8? Then partner with someone in the gospel. This is joy. So let me conclude by briefly looking at verse 6. I've left it until now because it's only in the context of all that I've said that we can truly understand verse 6. Verse 6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Note, this letter was written to a church, not an individual. 
A church made up of, of slaves, jailers, and, and, and businesswomen. This letter is written to the whole body of Christ in the local church. And what is Paul saying? He's saying, I am sure. Of what is he sure? What is he convinced? That he who began a good work in you, the body of believers, the church, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. And maybe this verse can be applied to us individually, but it's written to a church. So as we partner in the gospel, as we let the truth that we are each Christ's servant permeate every thought, word, and deed, as we understand that our brothers and sisters are saints in Christ, declared holy in Jesus, as we understand the truth of the gospel that God declares both grace and peace to each of us, as we enter into a covenant with each other to become partners in the gospel, spreading that message of grace and peace to a broken world, as we do this, our affection for each other will grow and deepen and mature. And it will become so profound that it will overflow as affection for each other, as we're united in our purpose. What a vision. It is this that is, is guaranteed in verse 6. This is what is guaranteed. This is the good work that Paul says God begins and will bring to completion at the day of Jesus. This is the joy that doesn't just start well, but finishes strong. This is the joy that completes. So, quit flip-flopping. Partner with others in the gospel, because this will give you joy in Jesus. This will get your tail wagging.